Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Melanated Faith Podcast. I have Sandra Van Opstel here with me, and I am so excited for us to have this conversation about the Enneagram, especially for me as an Enneagram 8. I resonate so much with Sandra's words. So Sandra, welcome to the Melanated Faith Podcast. I'm so glad you're here with us to talk more about your book and just, you know, all things Enneagram that you know. Well, it's exciting to be here. It's an honor. I love your podcasts. And I, I when I got your emails, like, yes, I want to be on it. So I'm excited <laughs> to have this conversation. Thank you. So, you know, I reflect back to my experience learning about the Enneagram. And honestly, it, I'm pretty sure it was from social media, seeing different people talk about it. Mostly it was white folks. I didn't really see a lot of people of color at the time some years ago talking about the Enneagram. So I'm wondering from your experience, like who actually introduced you to the Enneagram? And like, how did you start to understand that, you know, framework? Yeah, so I actually uh, was introduced to the Enneagram in like 1999, 2000. So it's been a minute. Pre-Instagram. Yeah, I know, pre-Instagram, kind of like when Facebook was just starting. And it was introduced to me by a spiritual director who worked with the campus ministry that I worked with. And she actually had done most of her ministry um, in Latin America. And so she had lived in Mexico and in Argentina, had raised her children there. And so she was although she was a white woman, she was known as like the Latina spiritual director because mm. culturally she just understood our community very well. And so I want to say most of the women that she did spiritual direction for were women of color. Uh, most of the people were women of color. And so, so yeah, she introduced it to me when I hit a major, major kind of ministry wall. And, um, she invited me to consider the Enneagram as an important spiritual tool that helps to kind of, uh, become a mirror for us mm. in our leadership and in our relationship with Jesus. And she was just like, I think it's time to do this Enneagram tool. And that's how I got introduced to it was through her. I love that. So for those who might not know, or have heard of spiritual direction, like what would you describe it as? Is it like a mentorship? Like, what is it? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so I think spiritual direction, it's like, doing your spiritual journey with someone else who's there to like, listen and to look for patterns and to ask questions. So it's similar to counseling in the sense that we're not, I'm not getting a lot of input, like someone's telling me what to do Mm -hmm. or mentoring me or coaching me in that way. It's more similar to the process of counseling in that it's really someone to listen with you. Mm -hmm. But what they're listening for is actually ways in which you're navigating your relationship or posture towards God. Mm. Um, and so it, it is a space where there is no judgment, there is no to-dos, there is no kind of, you know, this is the way you ought to experience that or these are the feelings you ought to have. Um, and so a spiritual director director is like a companion for you um, in understanding kind of your posture towards God in different areas of your life and different seasons of your life. So 
That makes sense. Okay, so I'm so glad you told us that. I just wanted to make sure everybody understood what a spiritual director was because I really I really appreciate how you talk about having a spiritual director and you talk about that openly in your book. So I feel like eights on the Enneagram get a bad rap. Like usually it's just like, oh, those eights or it just, I don't know. They're aggressive. They're, you know, it, it just feels very... Um, Sometimes I don't feel encouraged, okay? I'll say it that way when I read the assessments <laughs> of the eights. And I don't know if I'm supposed to feel in- encouraged, but I also don't want to feel bad. So why do you think eights get a bad rap? And then what are some ways for eights to be encouraged and empowered as they kind of, you know, learn to harness their giftings? Yeah. So the first thing I would say to those of you that are listening that either are eights or you know, love and are in relationship with AIDS is that a lot of those descriptions that you're talking about are actually written by folks that I think are really centering white people in their descriptions. And I think that culture and our racialized experiences, our cultural values, our context actually shapes a lot of how we interact with the world Mm. in a way that if they're not careful, if they say like an eight, you know, is courageous and they don't really care what people think about them, they just speak what's on their mind. That's actually not correct at all for Latina AIDS. We very much care about what you're what you think of us and, and the kind of environment we're creating it's it's just that their reference point is typically if I can be clear a white male mm-hmm. so when I look at the the descriptions of Enneagram eights in just about any book that I read to be honest with you I think it favors the experience of a white male eight Mm. And when I listen to any Enneagram podcasts, for example, I just listened to a famous Enneagram podcast and they had a very well-known white male eight on it. And I was like, no wonder why the descriptions look like this, because like his experience is so full of maleness, Mm -hmm. so full of privilege, so full of options that someone who's in my location doesn't have those same privileges and options in their experience in Mm -hmm. life. So I would say that I wanna, I wanna start by saying that because I don't think it's about eights. I think it's about positioning the description of the eight as a white male eight. And mm-hmm. I think that's true about ones and other others as well. So I think we ought to be very careful when we're talking about the Enneagram to, to just admit and kind of acknowledge that much of the Enneagram work that's been done, if it's been done in white spaces, doesn't include an overlay of cultural or racial diversity in that. Mm. So now to your question about the eights. I think eights are brilliant. I mean, when eights are healthy, we're visionary leaders. We're strong, independent thinkers. We mobilize people. Our passion is contagious, no matter what the topic is. Um, you know, like we 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 basically are movement makers. So mm-hmm. eights are Martin Luther King Jr. and Mother Teresa and Che Guevara. You know, like these are people yeah. that like they literally started revolutions. So I feel like, I don't know what's wrong with the eight. We do a great job. But when we're not healthy and really lean into anger as our dominant emotion, I mean, granted, the anger is typically, you know, directed at injustice, but it's still not like a pleasant emotion to be around all the time. So and we oftentimes will mask our weaknesses Mm. or our tenderness. So the only energy people get is strength and anger Mm. if we are not careful. And so our self-reliance and our courage uh, can, can could turn into kind of control. Mm. That's a really great point that you're making. And one thing that you said to your point before this about the the framing kind of being from like a white male perspective that I was thinking about was that also like says really loudly to me, like how much have women in general been included 
when it comes to the Enneagram and like the thoughts and the shaping around all of those things, because we know that there's different dynamics culturally, but then also societally for women as well. And so that kind of got my wheels turning, just thinking about, you know, those aspects when it comes to the Enneagram and how it's shaped. So basically what I'm getting from you is like culture and context and all of these things are really important when it comes to how we examine and experience the Enneagram. Yeah. And I think typically when, when, Western, so American, Canadian, kind of European, when Western thought um, is, is, is centered in personality or in kind of the, these types of tools, we only think of the individual experience and we kind of um, generalize it or universalize it for everyone. Mm-hmm. So the person that's writing or reflecting on that thing then generalizes that for every culture mm-hmm. everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we don't keep into account is that there are these communal experiences that we have. For example, you you could be have been adopted. That affects lots of things in your life, you know, growing up as a black woman, you know, affects lots of things in your life that that aren't the same for me, you know, so, so gender, race, class, like all those things um, impact uh, our experiences and, and are factored into how we both behave in the world, but more importantly, as it relates to the Enneagram, what motivates us. Mm. So I just recently, and you know, I'm an eight when I did this. So I'm just telling y'all, I, I don't know if this person is listening, but I, I got home yesterday and I told my husband, I was like, I, I, I was like, I wrote this, I wrote this DM to this very famous Enneagram podcast. And I was like, you know, I really love your podcast. Thanks so much. But also, why are you centering white speakers and white leaders in this dialogue? Like, I feel like you've shifted from actually having more diverse conversations to like the last eight guests that you've had have been white, powerful, influential, wealthy, educated folks and it, it it just it doesn't speak to the complexity of the world that we're living in so i wrote this you know dm thinking i'm, I'm like doing them a favor i mean it's like free consulting you know to call it out for them but it's because it gets tiring you know it's, it's like this doesn't at all describe the reality of most people in the world you know we didn't have a million dollars to play with when we started our foundation so mm-hmm. i don't know who you're speaking to here but it's certainly not us so yeah i think a lot of the conversation can be you know unhelpful to regular people mm-hmm. <laughs> i try to point that out but you know. yeah i mean i think that as we look at the world around us even this world that has been impacted and you know affected by a pandemic there's a lot of things that have changed and you know class you know so, you know cultural society all these things like really play a big factor and there's no mistaking the ways that a lot of people have been impacted by financially by this pandemic and the things that have, you know, really challenged and changed people's lives and perspectives. So I think context and keeping the broader, you know, sense of who people are and where we are in our society today in mind is key when having these conversations. But one thing I found when people discover the Enneagram and everybody's talking about it, blah, blah, blah. One of the things that happens is usually people say, oh, yeah, go online and take the test and then I hear other people say no don't take a test read the book and then when you read the book find what resonates with you so is there a right or wrong way what's the way that you discover your Enneagram number I mean what what do you do 
Yeah, it's so interesting that you say that because I literally in the car on the way to our conversation just had that conversation with someone. So I will tell you in in a second. But first, I want to respond to what you said before because it was so brilliant. I don't think, and I, and maybe I don't want to take the whole pat, podcast talking about this, but I don't think I can overemphasize enough how important the Enneagram can be to any person in any class, in any culture, in any context. The tool itself is accessible. The tool itself actually comes from a non-Western space. So it's it's thought to be come from like our the Desert Fathers or, you know, kind of the early Christianity or uh, early forms of other other uh, Judeo-Christian religions. And so it, it is actually coming from the Middle East. It is actually coming from Northern Africa, you know, um, and it and it had its resurgence, like it's kind of like modern awareness through Latin America. So it was, it was coming through non- white, non-wealthy spaces. And so I think we have to say, just because Americans commodified it, branded it, and made it an industry, the Enneagram industry, doesn't mean it, it actually comes from there. And so I just want to reclaim it as a Latina and say like, this thing, you know, um, as a brown woman, this thing comes from our space as brown folks. And so therefore, this tool can serve as a mirror for any of us in any context or culture to see ourselves, like all of ourselves, our beautiful selves, our ugly selves. And and I, I just want it to be accessible to everyone. I used it in my context on the West Side in an urban setting in a black brown context. And it's beautiful. We've had things with our staff and things with other churches. And every time people are like, oh, this is so helpful to see how I kind of how what motivates me and how I approach God and spirituality and my neighbor. So I just I want to put a huge like just emphasis on that to say it didn't have to be this way. It could have been for all of us. It was just commodified and branded in a certain space. And I would like to take it out of that space. So I'm reclaiming my space. Um, so as far as tests, I would say don't take the test. <laughs> Don't take the test. Don't take it. Um, I just told a young black woman who I was talking to just before this. I'm like, you know, already like I'm going against everything my spiritual director told me by encouraging you to engage this before you're 30. So the 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 school that I was raised in, basically in the Enneagram, was that your type is most accentuated and highlighted when you hit your darkness. Mm-hmm. So the way it's spoken of now, it's like, I'm the challenger. Yay. You know, I'm the eight. I'm the challenger. Yay. The way I was brought into it was like, you have this need to be against things at all time. So it was brought in actually by um, its reference to the seven deadly sins. So each of the types fits one of the seven deadly sins, and then some of them are repeated. And so the 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 sin there is like, actually lust Mm. so it's like this extreme like intensity around life you know like and anyone who's been friends with me knows it's like i don't do anything half you know like it's just it's on or it's not on (laughs) so that kind of energy and this need to be against is like can be a beautiful thing that's used for movement making or it can be a really unhealthy thing that's just people get exhausted by so anyway all that thing to say like so i told her like i'm gonna go against my spiritual work okay go ahead and do it i know you're just in your 20s but go ahead try it out but if you find yourself like favoring a couple of things don't put yourself in a box because you're still exploring and you're gonna take your whole 20s like exploring your leadership and like people, for example, in my case, they're like, oh man, Sandra's so courageous. Send her, uh, have Sandra do it. She'll say the things no one will say. Like, oh, give that to Sandra. She'll take the risk. So they all through my twenties, I like 
basically built my leadership on all the wonderful things of being an eight. And then it started getting me in trouble because I was like putting myself and asserting myself and saying things in spaces I didn't really have any business doing that in. Um, and so that's when I was like, okay, let's talk about this Enneagram situation. What is it that I need to see about myself? And we could, that's a different, different topic for another time. But I would say the test is not helpful. Nobody, no test can tell you what your motivations are. Mm -hmm. And nobody else can tell you what your motivations are. So don't ever, y'all don't ever let anybody else type you. Because the Enneagram is not about how you behave. It's about what is happening inside of you. Mm -hmm. And only you and your creator know what's happening inside of you. And so I think you listen to it. I actually think you should listen to it, not read it. That's my opinion. Listen to a lecture, listen to a book. I my, my spiritual director gave me the entire series that Richard Rohr did on DVD, on CDs. If anybody knows what those are, these silver things that you put into a, <laughs> a, anyway, um, audios. And she said, just um, take a retreat day. I went to a like a local Catholic retreat, retreat center and I listened to the entire series. And she said, when you find yourself crying and laughing at the same time, you'll know that's you. And sure enough, I got to the two. I'm like, oh, it's so me. That's so me. Because the eight in health looks like a two. So said, that's me. That's me. And then I got to the eight and I was like crying, like, oh my gosh, why is this person in my head? You know? And sure enough, as I grew into my understanding, it was reinforced over and over again that I was an eight. I gave that lecture to my husband to, so that he could listen to it. And as my partner, he was like, absolutely, that's your energy. Like every hour on the hour, you have an opinion about something that's <laughs> happening in the world. It's what makes you brilliant. It's also what makes you exhausting. And I'm an eight with a seven wing, which apparently is the most, the highest energy Enneagram type on the circle. So I didn't know that. I'm an yes, eight with a seven too. Yes, we're exhausting. So this this uh, person I preached at an event this weekend, and this person wrote in the in the chat, uh, the like live the streaming chat. I this has been exhilarating and exhausting. <laughs> oh my goodness! And my husband sent it to me. He's like, "This is exactly what it's like to be around you. Like it's inspiring and exhilarating and exhausting all at the same time." Um. <laughs> so anyway, if you're exhausted halfway through this podcast, you know why. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I think like, <laughs> you know, it's so interesting that you, you know, you you bring all these points out. Yeah, I find myself highly energized, you know, usually ready to just go take on the world. But I've had to learn how to temper that, you know, in my 20s, I felt like I never stopped. I was always going to, you know, go. And, and now in my 30s, I've kind of recognized the ways that I need to kind of you know, curtail my life, you know, a little bit instead of going, you know, 90 miles an hour. You talk. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad you learned that girls. I'm in my 40s. I'm still like, wait, who made the schedule for me? Oh, I did. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm learning that in order for me to stay present, I have to make room. And so I, 
I'm learning that I just can't over overcommit. So I'm trying to make more room and it's proven to be a challenge sometimes, but it's helped my mental health, which, you know, makes helps me to, you know, continue it. Uh, that makes me so happy, which is this is not on your questions that you sent me, but I, I just want to pause. I want to put a pause here and say something. I think I am so proud of women of color that are coming in the generation after me for doing that. Because I have to tell you, I've talked to women who are my peers in their 40s. We were like the first and the only in most spaces that we went to. And they took it, those spaces took advantage of our energy. You know, like it wasn't like it was celebrated. It was actually, it was, I mean, we were taken advantage of, I think. Like it was like, wow, they can do this. They can do this. They can handle this. They can take this on. And so I, I told someone the other day, it's like very much identify with the song from Encanto, from Disney's Encanto that yes. Lisa does. You know, it's like, it's like pressure, you know, that a drip, yeah. drip, drip. You know, like I feel that so much that I'm holding all these things and that, that I was really not cared for. Um, nobody encouraged me to do those things. And so when I see people like, I'm taking a mental break, I'm you know stopping this event, or I'm not doing this podcast for a while, or I'm gonna say no to that thing. I just feel like, oh, I, I, wish, I wish somebody would help me do that when I was in my 30s, you know? So I just wanna say yay to you all that are doing that. You are worth it, you know? Take your time. Um, as my husband tells me all the time, why are you working so hard? You're not making enough money for that. So, <laughs> you know, there's just it, what I've come to at this point after going so hard and so fast and, and wrapping so much of my identity into what I did um, career wise or otherwise, I, I realized that I have to stay grounded and experience my life in the moment. My real everyday life is not a highlight reel like, you know, social media. That's not the real everyday life. And if I want to be able to be present in this moment, these moments in my real everyday life, I have to slow down enough to sit in it and experience it. And I I just started to see like how important it was for me to slow down and kind of look around and be able to say, wow, this is great. Or I'm really present and grounded in this moment in my life and I'm happy about it. But when I'm going so fast, it's like all, all I can do is make it to the bed to sleep, to get up, to unpack my suitcase, to wash my clothes, to fill the suitcase back up again, to get out the door, to have a few half-hearted conversations because I'm so exhausted, and then do it over and over and over again. And I just wanted to change my pace. And it's been transformational and challenging, but still incredibly transformational and helpful to me as a leader and to understand like, What's going to fill me up so I can actually pour out from from a healthy, you know, place, which leads me to my next question. How has the Enneagram impacted and shaped your leadership? Yeah, it transformed my leadership. I mean, again, like I, I think it took me a little bit. It took me too long um, to understand what was happening inside of me. And I think a lot of that was shaped by being the first and only in many spaces, whether academically or in ministry or even in, in the corporate space, because I, I worked for a consulting firm before I went into ministry. And so I think those spaces, had I known what I know now, I I probably, I mean, I definitely would have done things differently. But um, the Enneagram, it, it is really like a mirror. It just shows you like, yes, you are that bright. You are that shiny. And that's okay. 
Like just because people feel insecure around your shininess does not mean you are responsible for their insecurity and feelings. Okay. So part of it was that like, it, it's okay. It's different. My mom used to tell me like, it's different to say like, I'm better than you. Like I'm, I'm the best artist. I'm the, I'm better than that artist. It's different to say that than it is to say, I'm an excellent artist. Those are two different things. One compares and one just holds it. And to say like, I like who God has made me. Like God has made me and designed me in such a way that I can say what is hard to say, even though I, I want to be liked. Like I am designed that way. Like I'm designed to imagine what could be, not complain about what is. I like that about myself. Like, um, so I think both as, uh, as someone who grew up with a strong complex because I was a chubby brown girl in a white suburb with really skinny, you know, quote unquote, beautiful blonde people around me, wealthy blonde people. And I didn't fit any of that. I had to really work to say like who I am is beautiful. And all of my differences and the way that I appear and, and, and act and think and the way my house smells different than everyone else house, everyone else's house, the way that I speak as I was learning to speak English, like all those things are beautiful about me. And, and I, I, I own those. And I think the Enneagram is a tool that helps you understand yourself. You know, it's these nine different personality types and the one that we naturally gravitate towards and kind of adopt, um, to, to cope and to kind of handle life, I guess they, those are good things to know because, you know, going into a situation like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to be displaced in this situation. I'm probably going to be again, even this week, I was in many places where I was the only and as a woman and as a Latina. And so I know I'm going to feel out of place and that's going to make me feel a certain way. So how do I cope with that going in? Um, if someone disagrees with me or walks out of chapel when I say something about, and also I feel called to preach about justice. So if I say something about race or justice and someone heckles me in the chapel, you know, what will I do? And so this week, for example, I was preaching at a chapel, mostly white um, Christian, conservative Christian college. And in, in the chapel space right above me, like on the I don't know why they designed it this right above me on the stage. There's these two balconies and they were full of young white guys with baseball caps. And I had a coping mechanism for how that made me feel because the Enneagram taught me about what would happen inside of me and what I would be motivated by and what I would be scared by and how to lean into situations like that when I felt that first feeling. So for me, the Enneagram has taught me that I need to count to 10 when I feel a gut reaction, because the eight is in the gut space as opposed to the head space or the heart space. So I know that I'm going to react from my gut. I'm gonna have strong intuition. Like I'm gonna know that something is wrong in a room just because I know. And when I feel that initial uh, like punch in the gut, I'm gonna have to ask some questions, take some breaths and count to 10. Um, it's literally what my mom told me all growing up. Like mija, mira mija, count to 10. Uno, dos, tres. And she used to count with me because she used to see my like energy change. So I think the Enneagram has transformed me to say who I am is beautiful and who I am can sometimes be dangerous. Mm. And it doesn't mean that I beat myself up or that I have bad self-talk. It means that I, I'm real with myself about 
when I feel in danger, when I feel someone, for example, when an eight feels like someone is trying to control them, oh yeah, they will control the situation. So it's not that we are controlling. We're not actually controlling at all. That would kind of be like, hey, you all won. So that, that's you guys. We're not controlling. We just don't like to be controlled. Oh, for sure. So if we feel, yeah, if you feel like someone's powering up on you, you are going to come out with those claws like and roar it. real loud. Yeah, no, of course. So anyway, that's that would be one example, <laughs> one of many examples. But um I think the more we know about ourselves, you know, if you're a five and you know that being around people and lots of closeness as far as like intense conversations and intensity is hard for you and you're on a staff team with all eights, which I know some of y'all out there are, then you know I'm going to have to be really prepared for this meeting and I'm going to need an hour afterwards where I don't talk to anyone or do anything in order to like retrieve my energy back. Right. That makes sense. That's a really good point. And I think what I like about the Enneagram is like the self-awareness piece that you gain from like once you, if you really like work the tool and use it, the self-awareness that it gives you is really empowering. And it's also like holding you accountable because there's, it's not just like flowery things. Like you're so great. Yay. It's also like, Hey, you know, these are some strengths, but also some weaknesses and you need to be aware of both. And so I think that's what I really appreciate about the Enneagram. So as we're trying to look through at the Enneagram through the lens of color, are there some people of color that you would say, these are some great people who talk about the Enneagram that you might not know of if you want to create more of, um, have a more diversified portfolio of people you're learning from when it comes to the Enneagram? Yeah, you know, there aren't a lot of us out there, but just because I can't name a ton of them, I don't know that it means that we're not out there. I think that we, we may just not have access to platforms of influence. So I just want to say that, that if you find them, please let me know, because I I always am looking out for folks that are doing that. But I think folks that have really integrated understandings of the Enneagram as a spiritual tool for self-reflection and transformation, I think the first person that comes to mind for me is Tracy G. Tracy G, I think you could just Google her. She has a coaching, she basically is a coach in the area of leadership and spiritual formation. She is amazing and I that's who I use for example like for my cohorts so when I want someone to come in and talk about the Enneagram with an overlay or a integration with uh, a culture and race um, that's who I would so I think Tracy G has some great work Christine Yisa who wrote the Enneagram 4 um, devotional on 40 days on being a four she's also a spiritual director and Asian American woman who has been in the pastorate and been in lots of different as an artist and lots of different spaces who's working with the Enneagram as a tool um, Ellen Hoffman uh, who I think you can also google her she has her own website ellenhoffman.com she's a spiritual director also just a coach and very knowledgeable in in the tools of the Enneagram. And she has a special like thing that she's really focusing on with coaching and doing direction for women of color. And so she's works with some African-American um, spiritual directors as well. So Ellen Hoffman is another person I, th- I just think is amazing. Those are all Asian women. So hold on a second, I'll, I'll turn and give you more. I think that found on Instagram at the Black Enneagram, Dio, she's doing some great work on like introducing people to the Enneagram concepts and making it very accessible and very uh, just interesting, you know, like using cultural references as a way of kind of uh, anchoring different Enneagram types. I think she's doing a great job of that. 
I'm sure there's more out there. There's a there's a site called Spiritual Directors of Color. And I think on that site, they'll tell you if someone specializes in, in Enneagram work. Sean, oh my gosh, why can't I remember his last name? He did the uh, 40 Days on Being a Three um, book, African-American guy, longtime spiritual director and has a lot of experience with the Enneagram. And he's got a new book coming out by IVP. My gosh, I'll give you the name so you can put it in the show notes. Because Palmer, Sean Palmer. So he's got a new book coming out with InterVarsity Press, specifically on the Enneagram and leadership. These are all really good suggestions. We're going to put them in the show notes for you all so you have them if you want to look anybody up. But Sandra, I want to know one last question I need you to answer for me. And this is something we talk about um, on the podcast. And it's just something that Catherine and I like to ask everybody at the end of our episodes, which is what are you hopeful for right now? Oh my goodness, that is a great question to ask people so that we can encourage one another along the way. I, I I am so hopeful for the role that women of color have in transforming both uh, contexts within uh, the church and Christian communities as well as the, their own institutions they're working in, you know, like academia, in education, in mm-hmm. law, for example. I've just seen, and not just in the last five years, but I've seen over the last 15 years, a strong movement from women of color to show up as their full selves mm-hmm. in the spaces that they're at. So I think yes. we've always occupied seats in places, you know, like, and obviously increasingly more and more. And there are definitely places that we need to have, you know, seats. Um, (laughs) But the change I think I've seen is people showing up as their full selves. And I think that's why tools like the Enneagram and other assessment tools, um, spiritual direction, getting your, you know, degrees, I think all those things just help us. I have to be honest with you, like I am in a doctoral program right now, I have multiple degrees. I don't think they taught me as much as they reinforced for me Mm -hmm. how much I have to offer from my community of origin. Mm. So they gave me frameworks and anchors for me to say, man, the Latina community, when it comes to theology, spirituality, um, you know, community development, I mean, you name it, we have so much to offer. Yeah. And these things gave me the framework to know how to how to give well in those spaces. So mm-hmm. I've seen women just writing books and um, leading in their communities and in their churches and becoming like block club presidents and just all these things that women of color are doing to say, if I'm going to show up here, I'm just going to, you know, come with my full self. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that to me brings me so much hope because when one of us is there showing up as our full self, <laughs> and others are there, but not really showing up, it makes it actually hard mm-hmm. <laughs> on those of us that are. Like, we're the problem, or we're kind of causing disunity, or, you know, we're complicating things. But I think when we all show up to pursue this collective flourishing as women of color, I think everyone in our community wins. Our our brothers win, our, our white sisters win, you know, like anyone who has ever felt marginalized is served mm-hmm. and is centered when women of color are at the center. And I, I just, that brings me so much hope. So folks like yourself and others in, in the cohort that we were in and just these brilliant, brilliant women winning, that makes me so happy. Mm-hmm. I love that. What a great thing to be hopeful for. And 
I am so grateful for you. I know that I've met, you know, many a people and, and many a leaders over the years. And I love the way that you celebrate women of color. You champion the generation coming up um, behind you and just really want to see everybody flourishing and empowered. And I think a lot of that is just like attributed to um, your leadership and then just also just who you are as a person. And so I'm so grateful for you um, being on this podcast and for joining me today and educating us more on the Enneagram, but also helping us to find different ways to explore it. And um, we will talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. 